Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Go Long with Dun and Bonus at golongtd.com, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever, however you listen. Thank you so much. Uh, just a reminder that our good friends at Fatty Beer Company fuel this podcast. They uh, provide a beer or two when we record, and it's not in the morning, and we're doing it remote, and we're in person. So thank you to to Nick and Chris and everybody over at Fatty. Make sure you get on in there. Orchard Park, Hamburg, downtown Buffalo, Kenmore, Rochester, Columbus. There are uh, Fatty Beer locations all over the place. Uh, IPAs, sours, seasonals, wheats, stouts. It's still stout season because it's cold out. It's going to be really cold this weekend too. Gosh, single digits? No thanks. Make sure you get on in, you load up. Uh, they've got anything and everything you possibly need when it comes to beer. All righty. I think you're really going to enjoy this show. Uh, Jim Monas is in Arlington, Texas. I'm up here in Western New York, remote. Uh, but what a conversation. Jim really relived his days as a scout with the Philadelphia Eagles, with the Eagles playing in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. The timing seemed perfect. And Sean Payton is back in the NFL. Jim also worked with Sean Payton with New Orleans Saints. So we get into the Saints, get into the Broncos and Sean Payton, where this possibly goes from here, and stick around for the end because I decided to just uh, rant about a certain Canadian who attended a certain concert Monday night in downtown Buffalo that needed to be called out. Thank you so much, everyone. Greatly appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. What's happening? This is Tyler Dunn here in the greater Boston, Colden area of Western New York, and Jim Monas down there in the state of Texas. Jim, how are you doing this morning? How are you hanging? Tyler, we try not to talk weather ever. I mean, I, I, it is. It's a horrible. It's usually you talk about when you have nothing to talk about. But <laughs> so let's get into it. Of, it's some type of once in a generational ice storm here in the Dallas, Texas area, Arlington, Texas, where, yeah, where the XFL is right now. So certainly some uh, bumps in the road as expected sometimes that you can't control, but um, you're in a warmer area than I am right now. So when, the, when an ice storm just uh, swallows there, Arlington, what do you do? Like you just hang out at the hotel you know? Yeah, every team is trying to find ways to get through it. It's like a school day. Think about school day back when you were a kid. Everything's yeah. shut down. The restaurants are shut down. So it's definitely tricky. Gosh, and you've been down there for for a bit, and you've been back and well, forth. They, but back and I've been back and forth. You know, some of the guys, some of these guys I work with, they've been here the entire month. So this thing's kicking off. You know, like February eighteenth is opening weekend. So we're we're in the home stretch. Love it. Can't wait to see it. Uh, I think we, we've all kind of on the peripheral yeah. seen the big name coaches getting hired. The, the, the uniforms are sleek and sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. The The product was great last time. And that, that, that was a completely different XFL that 
than what you guys have been building here for what two three years here's a good topic for you here's a good question for you yeah with the xfl one of the things i love about the xfl is the extra point you either go for one you can go for two go for three um and three is from the 10 yard line i'm all about going for three every time it would change it would just change so much of the game um and I think that's the stuff I'm looking forward to because I think there may be some teams that buy into that because if we can be the baseline for some, like for the NFL to judge us and see how, what's the value of going, you know, they won't be going for three, but maybe there is more value for them going for two if they score in the first quarter right away. First, you know, like I've talked about that on this. I think going up eight, nothing in the first quarter, you're changing some things. And if you have a weapon at quarterback, the, the dual threat that can make plays going for two is going for two in the NFL is very attainable. That is awesome. Uh, you so know anyway, that's the stuff the elimination of, yeah. of kickers in general. That's, so. and that's yes. So it's headed. It's, I like that too. So anyway, but yeah, man, thanks for, uh, it's been a good, it's been a good journey here so far. So. Fantastic. Yeah. I think anything that can kind of break the brains of football dinosaurs and how, you know, you get into a game and, you know, the, the old timers or people who just, there's this way of thinking, like, this is how it's always been. This is how it's always going to be, whether you're coaching, whether you're scouting. I think that's kind of how we really hit it off, actually. When we first started talking, you know, way back when about, you know, the Bills and Mahomes and Allen and, and that draft and how it came to be, we, we were just shooting the shit at a resurgence downtown. No doubt. And remember, it was, it was during COVID, so we had to eat I something know. while we were drinking because that's how you stopped. That's how you stopped COVID. You ate while you drank. That that <laughs> I, f- I forget all spreading. the rules. I forget we went through like rules. <laughs> went through like four baskets of uh, fried pickles. I remember. <laughs> well, there must have been I'm something like, washing those pickles down. Um, if, if I remember correctly, as well. Right. I mean, you're, <laughs> we probably are more apt to get like severely sick from eating four baskets of fried pickles than. You know, maybe talking while not eating at a bar in 2020. Uh, but it was, I just remember, I'm like, man, this guy, we, we kind of have similar football brains here in that you just are thinking outside the box always. And it's not, it's not all, the decision isn't always going to hit the bullseye. But when you dare to be different and you take a chance and you think about football in, in creative ways, that's when, that, that's when special things can, can happen. You know, whether you're coaching, you're scouting, you're playing, anything. You would have enjoyed, since we're kind of experienced, like like I was saying, like a snow day when you're a kid in school right now here in Texas. But yesterday, uh, like Whaley, myself, and we have some younger uh, guys, you know, starting out in the business and trying to learn some things. So we broke down Daniel Jones, Trevor Lawrence. We went through the playoff games, watching tape. So we were doing some good stuff, you know, just to, you know, some, just some other stuff to pass, you know, get through the day, but it was pretty cool to see Trevor Lawrence. It's really funny. That game that they came back in, he did not play very well at all, even in the second half, really. Really? Yeah. You really need to go back and and study it. Right. The touchdowns were kind of wide open, busted coverage type throws that were, you know, good job, but he really, and, and Daniel Jones was you know, just really, really bad against the Eagles. I mean, decision-making, he was 
they were completely, I will say this, the defensive coordinator for Philly, going back and watching that game, he did a number on the Giants. And then the uh, the former, that Chargers. He had Daniel Jones game. guessing. I mean, Brandon Staley keeping his job. I, I guess he was he had to fire everybody around him. But, man, right. what an indictment on your – it's your defense. You've got this lead, and you blow it. Brutal. And so this episode, um, we'll, we'll get into some coaching stuff. Oh, yeah, right? that's – yeah. Or Sean Payton, I'm shocked. Even I know money talks. I'm shocked that he took the Denver Broncos job. So we we have to talk about that. But at the top, we thought it would be, you know, really fascinating and insightful to uh, talk to Jim about his first NFL job. Uh, You were with the Philadelphia Eagles and we, we, we tend to lean into those, those saints years and hear the stories. You know, we had Roman Harper on and Jyree Evans and, you know, you know so much about Sean Payton. Drew Brees, and obviously the Buffalo Bills is, is yeah. you know, we, we, we've retold those stories. And, you know, when you're, so you were the director of personnel with the Bills, obviously, uh, working right there with Doug Whaley day in and day out. Before that, you were a, a Southeast scout with the New Orleans Saints for how many years? Yeah. I was there for, I think, nine, eight or nine. Eight or and nine then yeah, eight. before that, you started with the Eagles. That was with the Eagles and in the Northeast. Long. Yeah, it was Scotland Northeast for like five years. Yeah, four or five years. Yeah, so that, and I started, Tyler, it it goes all the way back to as an intern in the public relations department. That's how I got in the door in Philly. Um, You know, transcribing press conferences, Brian Mitchell, the old running back. It was my very first assignment. I'll never forget it. Um, In the old vet stadium in Philly. But, um, just incredible memories of those days, Tyler. I mean, think about coming out of like that was a nine credit internship I had as a P in public relations. So think about that, right? I didn't, I mean, you're living, you're just out of your mind. Like I remember the first day you're just stuffing pennants, you know, old pennants. They had me stuffing pennants in envelopes, you know, all the stuff you do as an intern. And, but, um, Anyway, to come all the way this way and then see that Coach Andy Reid's going back, you know, playing Philly in a Super Bowl is they're going to beat that into the ground. We don't need to get into all that. But and we've talked enough about Coach Reid, too, is we know how great of a coach he is and what he's done in Kansas City is, you know, it's incredible. But the Philly stuff is real fun for me right now because I work with Mark Ross, who, you know, we work together in Philly and longtime friends. And we're working together in the XFL. And then Brian Westbrook's working with us, too, who was, you know, my first year as a Northeast scout. That was the very first school I went to. And Mark Ross took me there to kind of show me the ropes and show me how to do a school visit and who you talk to and the questions you might want to ask. And, you know, I just remember after the visit, you know, Mark asking me about Westbrook and like, what do you think of him? And I'm like. That might have been the best player I've ever seen, but I don't know. He's at Villanova. I mean, I'm, it's like my, you know, I'm a I'm first year scout. I'm like, he's a, he's at Villanova. So I, I don't know, but that's the best player I've ever watched. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like Tyler was incredible. Like nobody could stop him. And it, it was just the most dominant player anyway. And Mark just said, yeah, I like him too. And I was like, okay. Cause you know, Mark was the director of scouting at the time. So even though he, we were, you know, we have friends. He's still, you know, you're still your boss. You're still trying to impress him. Anyway, Mark loved him. Mark Ross is a big reason Brian Westbrook is was with the Philadelphia Eagles. It took some selling a little bit um, 
you know, just on, he wasn't a burner. He didn't have a great 40 time. That wasn't his deal. You know, so that all of a sudden now we're all right. Now you're scared because he's doesn't hit the combine 40 and played at Villanova, but the rest is history. And that was a good learning experience for me as a first year scout, because I was able to see that guys from Villanova anywhere can make it in the NFL because guess what Brian Westbrook had that nobody else had incredible toughness and incredible football intelligence and love for the game to go along with his incredible skill set. We were talking a lot about Brian Westbrook these last couple of weeks with the Eagles, you know, working together. I mean, he was a all time dominant football player as far as return game, pass game, running back, just everything, everything he did at Villanova, he did in the NFL. But it's Villanova, right? I mean, this when we think Villanova, we think Jay Wright and uh, God. Uh, Archie, what was his name? The guy, I'm thinking of basketball players. That's what I was going to say. I thought Scotty Reynolds was that one of their players? You know, I was you know, thinking you know, like they, Carrie, Carrie Kittles. Carrie Kittles, yes. You don't think. Uh, or who was Randy Foy? Was Randy Foy the guy whose eye popped out of his socket? Remember that the one year? Ooh, good call, Foy. Yeah. Alan, Alan, Alan Ray and Randy Foy were like two of the guards they had back in the day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you don't think football? And, no. So anyway, I don't yeah. know how many football just, players in general come out of there. So when you're just getting into this all, you're just learning how to scout for Mark Ross and what to look for, what traits mm-hmm. you've got to really be hunting for because there's just so many levels of football, so many different levels of competition. And he doesn't have a great 40. I mean, there's probably both, most uh, talent evaluators write Brian Westbrook off. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, why, would. it's why we were able to draft him in the third round, I believe. Which is still pretty high to take a running back from Villanova. I mean, his numbers were insane. I'd say what, this. Like, back- was, what did you see? And you're like, whoa, th- this trait right here yeah. that I'm – Scouting for the first time is, is is rare. It's different. This is worth whatever. He, um, I think it just gave, I think back then it was maybe a little bit more of a, I don't want to say a risk, but maybe Villanova third round. I don't think that's, I think now that's pretty, I think that's very common now. It wouldn't be, but back then, yeah. But I tell you, it just gave you confidence as a scout. And then to be around, you know, everybody I'm working with and seeing that the confidence, you know, we, we had to bring Westbrook in for like a private workout too, to really, and I'll never forget it because it was really windy out. John Harbaugh was the special teams coordinator and we were just on the jug machine, just shooting uh, punts. And it was windy day in Philly, cold, windy. He didn't drop one. That's the one thing we always talked about. Yeah. Just one of those days, like, you know, how hard catching a punt is. I mean, it's one of the hardest things to do. So in the weather like that and the wind, so that that's how natural he was. But it's it was things like that that I love about a draft that people don't even know about. You know, the, the private workouts and the things you might see that weren't on tape, whatever stuff. Those stories go a long way. Even the players themselves forget them. I saw Von Bell um, for that Bengal story last week, and I, I – I think I was right. I was like, hey, you know, I do a podcast with Jim Monas and he, he, was he took you to Giancarlo's in Buffalo, New York. And he thought he for was a part second, of that he's, like, he's like, Jim, Bill's. He's like, okay, yeah, I can remember that. It took him a second. He it's, remembered it. 
You know, Tyler, it goes to show you how crazy their lives are. You would yeah. think that would stand out. I mean, having a dinner with your teammates in Buffalo, you know, before your draft, you would think you would remember that dinner. But those guys are so you they they had those. That's every night for those guys. Yeah, it's. But in terms of anyway. the the decisions that are made, I mean, these workouts, these meetings, they're yeah. are so unbelievably important and that was a draft pick I'm, i just pulled up brian westbrook's numbers i mean it's crazy he, right he's one of the more underrated players in the history <laughs> yeah yeah we gotta get him on here yeah we gotta get him on we really do i mean so were you what year did you become a scout then with the eagles so it was like 2001 kind of when i was hired full-time yep may of 2001 i remember that but the i'll tell you the other thing that i want to I look back on that because I do need to give, we've, we've joked about Howie Roseman and our relationship and starting out in Philly. And I was an intern, Howie was, Howie was, you know, he was like an assistant to Joe Banner who was running the salary cap and was some type of president in the organization. But Howie, what I can say and just give him a ton of respect and credit right now to do what he's done. He learned the business. Like he worked hard to learn the business to really become an evaluator for him, but he's always surrounded himself with experienced evaluators because Howie's always been a master of the cap as far as the rules of the game. He was always ahead of his time. I used to like to actually talk to Howie um, because he was in a little cubicle too. I mean, I was in, I had a little shared office, Howie had a little cubicle and I can remember walking down and sitting with him and just talking football. Like he would be talking money, salary cap stuff that I would be, I didn't know anything about that. You know, but he would ask me football questions. So his his um he always had a thirst for learning football. He he loves football. Like and it doesn't surprise me what he's done. And I and you just gotta give him a ton of credit for um really sustaining success. It's the ultimate goal as a GM to sustain success for your owner. And they're relevant, they're always relevant. Those early days with Howie Roseman. So you're just both in a cubicle. Oh, yeah. At the absolute bottom of the totem pole. I can picture it. I can picture where he exactly where he was. Yeah. I was delivering clips sometimes. You remember delivering clips when you're an intern? Like, but yeah, that then I was scouting. But yeah, it was, uh, and then this, yeah, his rise and, and, uh, I mean, and we've talked about this. I know you, but hits and everybody goes through hits and misses. I mean, you know, it's a credit to the Eagles ownership. Jeffrey Lurie believes in Howie Roseman. And we talk about structure. The owner has set the tone from the start. Howie Roseman is in control. And what do we always say? Know who's in control. It goes a long way. Howie picks the coach. He, he and the coach, now they have their quarterback in Hurts. Now they go. All four are in place. You know, I, I don't think there's a more fascinating GM story in the NFL. He's He's in charge. Agree. Chip Kelly agree. comes into town. He's kind of, you know, shoved into the back. And then Chip Kelly has all that wild success early on. And then the league figures him out. He's out of the league. Howie takes over. They build a Super Bowl winner. <laughs> then they they end like 4-10-1 that year. Joe Judge is bashing your head coach for not respecting for not the game. <laughs> right? Doug Peterson, he gets fired. Um, and then boom, you instantly build another Super Bowl team. It's, 
It's Dude, wild, and, and I, you know, I'll have a story at GoLongTD.com TD, on it, but I just think, you know, his willingness to, you know, he makes a mistake, like all GMs are going to make mistakes, That's- but he doesn't, he doesn't let ego get in the way, and he doesn't just try to convince himself that this mistake he made, this has to work, right? The Carson Wentz contract. Okay. You know, instantly, a year later, you know, he's, he's not the same quarterback, draft Jalen Hurts. The... Uh, whiffing on receivers, uh, Whiteside, Jalen Rager. That's okay. Nope, nope, no problem. Oh, we 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 missed Justin Jefferson. Well, we're gonna take Devontae Smith. We're gonna trade for AJ Brown. We're gonna keep you know taking these stabs at wide receivers. So I just think that you know that's that speaks a lot to Howie Roseman too, where it'd be really easy for a GM in that seat who just you know really busted ass for years and years and years to get into that seat to make a decision and then like convince themselves that this this player I drafted is is gonna work, right? And, and do everything in their power to overpay for that player. Double, mm-hmm. triple, quadruple down on that player. And then then you're gonna get fired either way. So you might as well own <laughs> own the reality in which you live in. If 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 you drafted a player, he's not what you thought he was, and he hits free agency, it's okay to let somebody else overpay for that player and and Challenge yourself to get better, and I, I'm all over the place here, Jim. So I apologize, but I feel like no, you know the Bills no. have made a lot of really good decisions. Tremaine Edmonds is that polarizing kind of player right now that they're going to be facing, like and it. we'll get into all their decisions. But it's like, you know, if he is demanding X amount on the open market, I'd be tempted. A player like Tremaine Edmonds, I should say, like let somebody else overpay for that player. Or Howie Roseman has taken players, signed players. They haven't been what he wanted, and he and he just moves on. So, as a as a personnel man yourself for two decades, right. how, di- how difficult is that? Like to to own to own a mistake that oh. quickly, that quickly, and move on and take somebody else to that same position. If if you can't own it and learn from it, then you will never become a better evaluator. You just won't. That means you're just too stubborn to learn. That's all that is, is learning. And it's, re- it happens real quick. I'll, I'll give a good, a good Eagles story on learning. We drafted in the second round, I believe. I'd have to look Billy McMullen from Virginia. It was, I believe it was, I have to look at these drafts. I got to pull that one up. It might have been the Westbrook draft. I'll pull it up. Yeah. Check that one. Okay. So Billy McMullen was a big wide out from Virginia, set all kinds of records at Virginia. At the end of the day, Tyler, I thought he was just one of those, why do you need me to scout this guy? Like, he's big. He's just big and can make plays. But he wasn't, at the end of the day, really, now I look back on it, he wasn't the fastest. He was an average route runner at best. He wasn't special after the catch. And for a big guy, he actually had average hands. He was a complete bust. Billy McMullen, 2003. So this is a year... You you took Brian Westbrook ninety first overall in the two thousand two draft, two thousand three you take Billy McMullen ninety fifth overall. So it was that okay? So fifty two career guy. catches. You're right. He he did last for five years. Yeah, but, but look uh, at his Tyler. Look at his uh look at his Virginia stats. Sometime that's what's crazy when you pull. But but point being, point being, I learned it quick. And I'm going to tell you what I did when I interviewed for the in, for my job with the Saints, for the New Orleans Saints when I was interviewing for the Southeast. 
I brought Billy McMullen up in the interview. Um, as far as a guy that I, I just, you know, I said, this is a guy that I learned on real quick. I always used him as a lesson. And um, the Saints told me they liked that. And, you know, when, and after the interview, they liked that part of the interview like, that I was talking about learning from that. So if you can do that, GM, you got to keep swinging. I tell you, it's just like baseball. If you hit three out of 10 draft picks, three hit 300, you're probably going to go Hall of Fame. <laughs> It is. It's true. And I mean, it's that. If you study the drafts, they're that inexact. That was uh, such a fascinating team at that time. Andy Reid is still kind of new at this head coaching thing. His his tree is is wild. I mean, so many coaches. Leslie Frazier was there. Uh, You know, we talk about the Bills. He was the secondary coach. Sean was Sean was Coach Reid's assistant. You know, and then he went and then he, you know, that's how he started. Just like I started as an intern just to get in the door. Sean was coach Reed's assistant. Then he went on to be a Sean position McDermott. coach. McDermott, sorry. Yeah, Sean McDermott. Took, then he went on the position coach. But, I mean, we all started there. Mark Ross was director of college. I mean, and everybody branched out. The, the head Ron the Rivera, coaching, John Gruden. The, the coaching thing is crazy. Yeah. Sean Payton started there. But that was before Coach Reed, though. He was with Ray Rhodes. That's but right. Like Tyler was talking about that on uh, on the radio. I can tell you one thing that I learned more than anything was scouting and, and coming up in Philly with, and I talk about it, physical toughness, how we talk about we're just, they're wired differently than we are. When I was around Brian Dawkins and Jeremiah Trotter on those defenses in Philadelphia, I officially, Hugh Douglas, I officially was like, I, I, I've never, I'm not like that. Like these guys, this is why when you're scouting, that's what you're looking for. That rare quality of just insane toughness that these guys have. And I was around the best of the best. I mean, I got to learn right away as a young scout, what the best look like hall of famers, Troy Vincent at corner. I mean, it was awesome. And then don't even get into the whole McNabb and the offensive lineman we had. I mean, it was like, I was just around, Basically, I was just gifted as a young scout. I was put into one of the best teams on the NFL. I didn't have to sit there and guess what. I didn't have to guess what a franchise quarterback looks like or a great coach looks like. To be honest, that gave me a lot of confidence when we were interviewing Sean McDermott for the job. Because I know where Sean came from. Like, I know the organization Sean grew up in. It was tough, well-run organized, structured the right way. And Sean did that in Buffalo. Sean did it. Regardless of coaching decisions, we can we can break that down all we want, but he structured the bills the correct way. I mean, it's I just laugh because our, our listeners here, they they have heard everything you've said about Sean McDermott, the current bills. And then, you know, if I write a story that's critical and I've, I've had a few on how these seasons have ended for Sean McDermott and the bills, I, I'll get like a wayward tweet. Oh, why don't you just go drink a beer with Monus and listen to his stories and, I, and how bitter they, it's like better. Do we, do we even I'm listen what? to our podcast? Do you have any effing clue? Like he's, you go out of your way to say that this team is structured the right way out of your way to say how chaotic things were before and that order was restored. So get the hell out of here. If anybody out there say that shit. And for all the Bills fans that do 
really love that Sean McDermott is the head coach. Andy Reid's a big part of that too, because when Terry Pagula called Andy called Andy Reid about him, it was nothing but brave reviews. And I never and take any about- of that away. That that stuff matters. It, it mattered this year with the Demar Hamlin situation. It was just matters. a textbook with how things were handled. Matters. Like all of that is is established. Um, and that and that comes from Andy Reid, right? Like that's how. So Andy Andy Reid kind of set a model for how a team can be run with the head coach in control at the top, mm-hmm. right? So when you're there as a scout. Um, what does that look like when Andy Reid is, is really the one kind of in charge of the operation? So for a scout, you know, you, you have little time with the head coach, really. I mean, he'll what he did, he'll sit in on the draft meetings and listen, you know, when you're reading, we call it reading your players, you know, from your area. And um, so he would be in those meetings. Coach Reid was a huge, huge believer in the draft, um, just like Sean Payton was, too. I, I always respected those head coaches that were, and, and McDermott is too, that just, they, they are draft, draft heavy, like into it. And that blew me away as a scout. I'm like, wow. I, you know, I didn't really understand how much the coaches did back then, but then I'm looking around Andy Reid and all the coaches are involved. They become a part of it. It's a big, you know, you all, you have to involve everybody. And I, we talked about that with that 17 draft where, we all thought we were involved pretty well, but anyway, back to that. That's what that's what Coach Reed did. That's what he believed in, and and you see the same traits. Sean has that, like he's setting that tone in the building um, with the draft. He believes in it. Hired his personnel, his GM that he believes in and trust. Andy Reed did the same thing. Andy Reed got total control and moved on. He brought in Tom Heckert. His his that that is who he chose as GM. Uh, Tom Hecker has passed away, um, but he was, a, I've worked with him and, but anyway, but you see how Sean did the same thing, gets his head job. Didn't he and Whaley didn't see eye to eye, however you want to say it, didn't believe in us, moved on, got his guy in just like coach Reed did. It says a lot about you and, and Tug Whaley when you're, you know, recommending him for head coach and you're conducting these interviews and, you're a smart guy. You hey. probably had that fear in the back of your mind. I mean, this is what's best for the Buffalo Bills, but it might not be what's best for, for Jim Onis if he follows that Reed model. No question. And it was and it was brought up. I mean, it was brought up to me as far as, you know, you don't know what he, you know, do you have that good of a relationship with Sean? I'm like, no. But this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be a, to be a part of hiring a head football coach in the NFL. The Pagulas had Doug Whaley and myself. That was it. And that was fun to be a part of that. I'm proud of that. Yeah, you should be. So, yeah, it's... anyway. Yeah, those are... Um... But, yeah, the Philly stuff, the Eagle stuff is definitely runs deep. Like, as far as always has a place, you know, you always smile a little bit when they're making their run right now. Because, you know, you relive those stories. Then you guys had to just break my heart in 2003 on fourth and 26 and Freddie Mitchell sneaks Freddie. behind that Packers defense. I think they had like two sacks on back-to-back plays right before that. Lest we forget Mike Sherman punting on fourth and short when Najee Davenport and Amon Green are just running roughshod over your Eagles all game long. They punt, speaking of punting, and give Donovan McNabb an opportunity and 
Oh my god. So yeah, that was kind of at the tail end of my fan days. Uh, you know, when I when I liked Green Bay as a kid, I, I can still remember watching Fourth and Twenty Six. Man, it was Fred and Freddie Mitchell. He did he did the belt long before Aaron Rodgers even thought about the belt. Drop that field goal, overtime pick, field goal. How, do, how did you watch that game? Do you do you remember where you were? I do. I was in Las Vegas. There was an All Star football game. I was covering as a scout. I was in Vegas and I was cheering like a little kid when Freddie caught that. <laughs> Did you have I hair just, then too? Did you have hair like, like my, back then? I was holding tight. Okay. I was probably, I was probably heading. I mean, yeah, it was heading the wrong way. I mean, I was 14 years old and I was probably hanging out for dear life too. So. <laughs> I think, you know, I, if I look back, I may have been to, I may have to check on that. 14, but yeah, man, that was, uh, I rem- yeah, I it's funny how you said, it's funny how that's a good call, fourth and 26. And like, do you remember where you were? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those periods of time in NFL history that, I mean, it's not forgotten with Eagle fans, obviously, but right. to make, yeah, obviously four Super Bowls is in its own class for the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s, but still four straight NFC championship games oh. uh, to be banging at that door. And not get through. I, it's equal when, parts inspiring and demoralizing for those Eagles. And Tyler, when they went to the Super Bowl, I wasn't with the Eagles. Yeah. Um, so it was. Well, that's right. You get through on the fourth one and, and lose to New England. And I don't even get to experience. So I was, I mean, that's when um, Coach Reed had moved on. He brought Tom Heckard in. He brought in kind of a new scouting staff. And I can tell you I was not rooting for the Eagles to win that Super Bowl. Really? No, not really. But stop. I mean, just <laughs> I look back on it. Didn't need to be. Yeah, that's just the business. It happens because the greatest thing in my world happened to me. At, I got a job with the Saints. So, well, that's, that's how I, you a, have to look. Yeah, that that's really a perfect segue then because yeah. the the head coach Sean Payton. This that you worked best. for for a long time. Yeah. He had a, he had a decision to make, Jim, and I, I really did think he would just hit pause on 2023 because there, you know, every job that, that's available right now, he is probably at the top of that list for every job. And yeah. at, at this point, you know, he can make a ton of money anywhere. He should be choosy. He should choose in my opinion, the best possible situation. And I, I don't know. I, I thought that 2024, when that comes around the bend, there could be a team that is a playoff contender with a quarterback mm-hmm. challenging themselves to get better, perhaps at that point. Uh, or maybe there, maybe the Houston Texans own the number one pick then. And, oh, hello, mm-hmm. Caleb Williams out of USC. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll make me, you know, 15 years younger. Um, and then, and he can make money just hanging out with Colin Cowherd at Fox Sports, right? Like he could just, he could just talk football for a year. But I get, you know, so obviously the Denver Broncos hired him as their, as their head coach. He's got to be the highest paid coach in the NFL. Everybody knows that by now. I, I guess so, you know, that, that's how I was thinking about this this whole time. Like just, just wait because there's a better opportunity out there. You're Sean Payne. And by the way, the Bron- Broncos don't have any picks and Russell Wilson is cooked. Who even knows if he wants to be fixed? We don't know. At this point, 
And then, then more you think about it, it's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, a lot can change in a year. Right now, his stock is insanely high. It could be really high next year. Who knows what it looks like? I mean, I think it still would be, but maybe that's his thought process. Like, it's high right now. The Broncos want to pay me this amount of money. I believe in my ability to teach the quarterback position. I, I can get something out of Russell Wilson. I don't know. I'm still a little shocked by his decision. What What was your reaction to the news? I'm I'm kind of well. First of all, I love that he's back in the league for some reason. It's just good to have him back. He there's more. He wants he wants to do it, so it's going to be fun. He certainly has his reason. I don't know. I'm with you on Russell, but he has to have a plan. There has to be more to it at quarterback. So we've always said that about Sean Payton. He always well, here's the thing though, Tyler. He does, but here's the thing. The only thing I have to say that he never was able to find a replacement for Drew. Even a good, like, like we didn't draft, you know, he didn't look at their history of drafting quarterbacks. Not good. Like, even as backups, they're not even good backups, some of the guys. So that's how hard it is. I mean, he's as good as you could ever want evaluating anything. And he can't even figure it out sometimes with the quarterbacks. So I guess what I'm saying is I, he has to have a plan. But once again, what are they going to do with Russell Wilson? He's not good enough. And look, how could he – is that what it is? I mean, really, is he going to turn Russell Wilson somehow make – because, I mean, in defense of Hackett, I don't think Russell Wilson is playing at a high level at all. I speaking of hack, did we even talk about Hackett going to the Jets right away? <laughs> well, a little bit. I'm with you yeah. though. Like watching those Denver games, and anyway, Lord yeah. knows we were force fed uh, to watch those <laughs> those Denver games. They were on every. Oh my God the the analogy we used with uh, Joshua Briscoe, you know the the Chiefs uh, yeah. post game host is uh, you know so it's kind of like needing to watch Human Centipede, basically like. <laughs> No, none of us really wanted to watch. I did, I've never seen it. I, I can never watch. I it. haven't either. No, I can't. But it's. It. I, I would imagine that's what the experience is like. It's like watching yeah. Russell Wilson in prime time. That Colts game was <laughs> just an abomination to the sport. Um, but I don't. You know, Hackett obviously was in over his head as the head coach. I mean, there was a lot of game management blunders, obviously. But there were plays where receivers were open. And he mm. just didn't hit him. He just mm. flat out missed him. Mm-hmm. And he drove his offensive line nuts. Remember them losing their minds on the sideline? Like they want him to be strong in the pocket, stay in the pocket. He was kind of like flustered and would just bail on plays and not stick in there and plant and throw and take a hit. You know, he's a little gun shy and afraid of getting hit. These are permanent mistakes, it seemed at this point of his career. Like the magic is kind of gone where he just runs around and moonballs so. prayer downfield. I don't know what how, how that's appealing to Sean Payton. I really don't. Uh, he might see a side of Russell Wilson none of us see. He might see the amount of money they're willing to pay him, which do you know, I haven't seen. How much money are they paying him? Are you sure? Do you know how much that is? Well, 
I don't know the exact number, but Tyler, I don't think they're even in a position to get a quarterback. Like, I don't even know what they're. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. All right, Mike Cliss of 9news.com, he's, he's covered the Broncos for a long time. He said that Peyton will receive, quote-unquote, somewhere between $17 million and $20 million per year. <laughs> yeah. So There's your answer. I guess maybe There's that's answer our answer. To right? Maybe that, that's the answer. answer. <laughs> he's like, oh. I don't think know. he's going to be too stressed. He, he's not going to be too stressed if Russell's, Russell Wilson's good or not. I mean, the, meanwhile, I mean, he probably would have loved to have gone to Dallas if he had, you know, say over the roster, yeah, which is no, maybe not. Maybe with Jerry Jones. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe the relief, getting total control and having, you know, your last shot, you know, kind of your last run be how you want it. Because it wouldn't be that way in Dallas. It would not. And Mike McCarthy was not fired. He stays. Yet they're firing everybody underneath him, basically, oh. um, including so many of his allies over the years. It's just, it's wild to see Joe Philbin, Rob. How it works. How it works. I know. It is. Uh, it's so predictable. You, yeah, well, what's going to happen in Denver? Like, how do you see this going down? This will be fascinating because I'm still not even sure what's going on with the Saints. Like, Dennis, you know, I don't, it's strange. Like, everything's a little strange right now with New Orleans for me. Like, with Dennis Allen, I'm glad they kept Dennis Allen. I mean, they go way, way back. I mean, that's loyal that the GM, Mickey Loomis, stuck with Dennis and it's given him an opportunity. But Coach Payton always had the same assistants. Pete Carmichael, the receiver, he always had Doug Marone's back coaching with the Saints. Um, Coach Payton, all those guys. Yeah. I don't know who he's getting now. He's extremely tight with Aaron Cromer. But I don't know what Cromer's deal is. I mean, he could try to get Cromer away from Buffalo. That wouldn't surprise me, just so you know. That's a that's a really good he, call. It's all about relationships. He could go for Cromer. He could try to make Cromer an offensive coordinator and just get him out of there. You know what? That's going to be a topic that I, uh, I'm going to explore down in Phoenix during Super Bowl week, Jim, is just – Offensive line coaches, I feel like if it's one of like the um, true secrets in pro football, where if you can, if you can find a really good offensive line coach, that's going to elevate your team in ways you can't even quantify, right? Like a, a good offensive line coach can make players on that front five so much better than they were before. I mean, you could have a completely different look of an offensive line with a really good line coach. And then that's going to make everybody else better. No so question. Like if you're looking like if you're the Denver Broncos, you don't have money to spend. You don't have draft capital. You're trying to get better. That would be a way to get better is just, it's like money ball. It's like money ball for football. Find a really good offensive line coach. And maybe he elevates them up front in a way that, 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 that is uh, substantial. Most, I would say almost every, head football coach I've ever been around believed in that and started with my father when he, yeah. he, you know who his first head coach or his first hire was when he became a head coach, his offense line coach. That's all he talked about. It was Frank Reich's father. Wow. That was his first hire 1986 as a head coach. He hired Frank Reich as his offensive line coach. For those that who don't know, my, 
at where at where your dad was coaching. I was at Lebanon Valley College in in Pennsylvania, Division three school. Yeah. So anyway, um, but it, it was always he always talked about that's number one hire, offensive line coach, and I've seen it with Andy Reid. I've seen it with Sean Payton. Marone was an incredible offensive line coach, Doug Marone, when I met him in New Orleans. Um, and that's what he's doing for the Saints again. So it's a whole world, are, man. It's a, it's like a, it's a different it's, dimension. It's and it's they have a it's like they have their own club too, Tyler. Like you're not welcome. If you haven't played the position, if you haven't coached it, you're not welcome. Like stay away. And you've had you've got to have an element of crazy to you as an O line coach to be somebody overseeing all of these dudes. And we it can it can get really ugly really fast. You know, it's uh God, what's his name? Who was the O line coach that was like doing cocaine off of a stripper? Oh, and... oh the guy in my hand. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look this up real quick because you can't can't just Uh, think about cocaine and a stripper and not know who you're talking about here. No, you caught me off guard on that one. (laughs) That's That's because he keeps getting a job. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. Chris Forrester. That's right. Chris Forrester. Yep. Um, Cromer. Everybody knows about the beach chair incident. That's, that's well documented. Um, Gosh, and then there was the Arizona. I don't know what happened with the Arizona coach down in Mexico. Did he say it was like false identification or something? He was alleged. Yeah, yeah. I it, that story, I know. I know. Casey's Mexico, man. I don't know what to tell you. To you. Yeah. <laughs> Never been to Mexico, and I don't have any immediate plans. Um, I have. You Things like it happened. down there? Things happen here. Where I went was pretty nice. I have no complaints of Mexico. We want to talk about the Super Bowl, but maybe not quite yet. You know, there's yeah. there's, there's time it's, for that. We can wait. Yeah, we got to get there. We got to get there. Uh, so you've got a lot of XFL stuff. I'll be down in Phoenix for Super Bowl stuff, but we're going to remotely find a way to break down the matchup, make it happen. Um, it's going to be a good one. It is. You know, I think that there's there's probably some listeners out there still reeling. We've got a lot of new Cincinnati Bengal fans uh, who read and listen and go along. And they're they're probably still watching the clips of – and I get it. You can call hold on every single play. But it is crazy to see it's... what Cincinnati was called for basically happen at the end of that game on Patrick Mahomes' signature run on third and four. I mean, clear as day, headlock holds, not called. So I feel for you, Bengal fans. Brutal. Obviously, you don't want Joseph Osai, you know, hitting Mahomes out of bounds. I thought his ex, but once, you know, once he talked talked about it, and God, I can't believe he was able to talk about it like he did. His explanation actually kind of made sense where he, he, he didn't know where he was on the field, obviously. It's uh, but he, he wanted to try to keep him in bounds to keep the clock running. He didn't really hit him that that hard, no, and Mahomes no. did a good job of selling it too. I'm not saying it was legal; it was no, obviously a hit out of, but it wasn't ne- as necessarily as uh, no. fly splattering on the windshield as it appeared either. 
But uh, anyways, so Bengal fans no, are, you. you know, Let's... figured out how to consume football. But I, think, I think Bills fans are getting there, right? It's been a couple weeks. They're they're moving ahead. Um, I think it's 2023. But, yeah, I think this matchup tells us a lot about these teams. But, you know, I'll be writing stories that are bigger picture and uh, hit on some trends as well. So it will all be for subscribers. Go along, TD.com. Get on in. We'll have coverage all week in addition to the podcast, of course. Any final thoughts, Jim, as you sip that that hotel room coffee? You saw it. I I, I, I love it. that you know. I'm doing I want to make sure I'm doing all the cliches right now to make you feel like because you're gonna be doing it in, a, in what, a week? <laughs> a couple days. Yeah. You know though, concierge one. If you had the complimentary coffee though in the lobby, it's worth the trudge I, down. So I got hour. some. I went to the concierge lounge had got, had a good batch batch of coffee here. So nice. I upgraded to the concierge lounge. Well, you probably have points more points than you know what to do with, right? Lifetime because of the area scout job. Yeah, I, you lucky bastard. Where we. I ran out of my Marriott points long ago. You know, that's that's what happens. No, they um, can go quick, though. They can. Oh, yeah. Real quick, I gotta, I'll got do a mini rant. I'll try not to go too crazy here, Jim. But, you know, I'm always getting into these people who don't return their shopping carts. And then, oh, yeah. You know, the airplane budger that doesn't deplane by row. You know, just, just, the, just the worst. I got – I have a new – most hated person in this in the society that we live in. Uh, all right, so we went to a concert Monday night. Oh, yeah, Gregory okay, Allen Isaacoff at Babeville. It's like a, yeah. ch- a church downtown that they turned into a music venue. Yeah, awesome, awesome spot. I uh, saw Coulter Wall there, which is crazy. Coulter Wall a few years ago. Now Coulter Wall is huge. He's in yeah. my opinion, the best country musician in, in the world. He's from Canada, just unbelievable. Um, and this Gregory Allen Isakov, he popped up on my Bon Iver playlist a ton. When I every time I write, I, I listen to Bon Iver radio on Spotify because it's just so relaxing and soothing, and it's like, like chiller than chill. Like, yeah. Listeners know who who Justin Vernon is. That's his band from Wisconsin. Like I got got into him out in Wisconsin and. It is like background music, just relaxing. If you're stressed out in, in life, just listen to Bowling Bear because it, it will calm you down right away. So, oh, Gregory, he popped onto that playlist a ton as I'm, as I'm writing this book, Blood and Guts, all these stories, and I got into him. He's incredible. He's like from South Africa, emigrated to, I believe, Colorado. And it is like even more chill, like super relaxing. Great music. I got to get on this, Tyler. Yeah, I got to oh, listen to Oh, it's this. so good. It's so good. Uh, so that that's the kind of concert we're talking here. It's it's And it was packed Monday night. Packed. Shoulder to shoulder. I know there's seating up above. And then you stand on the floor. And usually, you know, I grew up at going to, like, you know, rock concerts. Or even, I, mean, I went to a Lil Wayne concert once. You know, he was in Buffalo. Those kind of concerts, yes. You scream. You yell. You have a good time. You know, you're you're pumping a fist, you're bobbing your head. It's this is not that. It is the opposite of that. Yeah. It is you just are there to relax, listen to good music, 
And, and so everybody there was doing it. Everybody loved it. You know, they're, you know, bobbing their head. They, they have a few riffs where they get into it. They got a great banjo player, um, a mm-hmm. violinist and, you know, there, there are those moments, but there was a woman. God, I hope she listens to the go along podcast. She probably does not, but if she does, I just cannot stand you. She's from Canada. She told us immediately. She was standing right behind us and screaming at the top of her lungs from the word go the entire two hours for the show, screaming that she's from Canada, that she loves Gregory, screaming the names of songs. But it was, which is, okay, fine. You know, the occasional, I get it. It's a concert, but it's not that kind of concert. And if you loved him so much, shut the hell up. She was yapping the whole night, all night, nonstop. Loud, obnoxious, annoying, screaming in everybody's ears. Multiple people were telling her, can you just relax? You know, but we're here trying. And then that set her off. Then she started screaming louder. This is a gotcha. And me, like, we're right in front of him, by the way. We're like flanked to the left. So he's hearing all this. He's he's not even like paying any attention to her, acknowledging her at all. The Gregory Allen Isakov. And good. That's good to hear. It didn't it was, exactly. But um, yeah, like she she turned angry when a couple people asked her politely to just try to enjoy the show. But it's not an ACDC concert. It's not AC. Like, <laughs> it's not. There's no like nobody else in the whole venue was even talking above a whisper. Nobody had their phones out. It was that kind of show. So, God, did she. And then she was bashing America after after somebody asked her if she could quiet, you know, just quiet down politely. Oh, this is what it's like in America. F you, that. I'm like, you know what? You can just go back to Canada and not return. That would be that would be fine. She's that she would ruin like if she was at a movie theater, she's gonna ru- ruin the movie, like somehow, oh, completely. Somewhere. I think she'd pretty she, much ruin anything, anything, anything. in life. You can I, I, I don't want to be around this person. No, yeah. Just, Did she not have anybody with her? Like, to oh no, she you? had another drunken sailor with her. Yeah, both. I mean, clearly both high as a kite, drunk, just a mess. Like that's the other thing. Like you're going to a show like this, and you're gonna get all. You know, drugged up. You know, drunk. I don't. Obviously, it's I'm uh, I'm get I'm guessing here, but it's an educated guess. Yeah, they were they were on something to act something. like they were acting. Something. But you're doing it for this show. <laughs> this isn't this isn't those uh. Not the time. What, what, what are those um techno concerts or whatever? Yeah. Where you, yeah, yeah. Beat the beat. E- mm. Yeah. This is it's not exactly <laughs> that. Um. So anyways, yes, thank you. to. I, here's the takeaway. I promise there's a moral good takeaway here. That scene told me everything I need to know about the city of Buffalo. Because everybody at that venue should have, I wanted to, turn around and lost their goddamn mind on her. Easily That's could have. Tough. Like, and just, and, yeah. and we could have all revolted and kicked her out. No, like, the city of good neighbors, oh my God. It was unbelievable that the restraint that everybody around her at this show had to not lose our minds. So kudos to Buffalo, New York. This is why it's great living here. The people are amazing. And this woman was an outsider coming into our world, acting unlike anybody else. And it'd be great if Bay Bill just banned her for life. I I hope that happened. It could have happened. (laughs) Uh, All right, Jim. Thanks so much. Talking Eagles, Sean Payton. We'll get into the matchup yeah, soon. Good. good to see you, buddy. Yeah, it's good talking. That was a good one. Reliving some old stories. Good luck out in the Super Bowl, too.
All righty. We'll talk soon.